In my office, I didn't bring it in, but in my office, I have a book that uh, I've had for many years now. It's not a spiritual book. It's actually a time management book. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And some of you are thinking you should probably read it then, uh, Ricky. But, but one of the chapters in the book written by Stephen Covey is titled, uh, Begin with the End in Mind. And he's talking about if you want to accomplish anything great, you need to begin with the end in mind. And sometimes we need our minds jogged to the importance of the decisions that we're making every day with how we conduct ourselves, how we use our time, the people we hang out with, the things that we do. And so one exercise that uh, he shares in that book is, he said, just imagine in your mind's eye walking into a funeral parlor. There are many people already gathered there in this funeral parlor. There's the hushed tones of organ music. There are the hushed tones of people who are whispering. There's people grieving and crying. Uh, there are folks sharing stories together. And as you walk past all of those people, you see the casket up front in the funeral parlor. And as you make your way up to the casket, you peer into the casket and discover it's you. This is your funeral three years from today. And the people that are going to be speaking that day are family members, friends, co-workers, and fellow church members. And he says, when you sit down for the funeral service, what do you want those people to say? So begin with the end in mind. Make those decisions today. Make those choices today. And I think Stephen Covey understood that we all are every day writing the eulogy. We're writing the story of our lives by how we conduct our lives every day. Fast forward, I read that book probably in the late 90s. And then a few years ago, I was sitting in a leadership conference with Pastor Andy Stanley of the North Point Community Church, Dr. Charles Stanley's son. And he was talking to preachers and he was talking to staff members and he was just giving a leadership lesson. But he, he asked us this question and it stayed with me. I wrote it down. It's in my office right now. He, he said, you need to ask yourself this question every day. What story do I want to tell when this is just a story I tell? What story do I want to tell when this is just a story I tell? What story do I want to tell about my family life and my marriage and the way I treated my friends and the way I led my staff and the way I handled money? What story do I want to tell when this is just a story I tell, when it's in my rearview mirror, when it's in the past, when there's nothing I can do to change it? What story do I want to tell? And I also wrote in my notes that day, what story do I want others to tell about my life when this is just a story they tell? What story do you want others to tell about your life when your life is just a story that they tell? That's where our lives intersect with Joseph's life. We're separated from him by about 4,000 years, but the story of his life is still being told and Joseph understood that the story of his life was being shaped by multiple factors. I mean, and it's true with your life as well. Your life story is being shaped by multiple factors. Your, your life is being shaped by events that take place that 
typically you don't have any control over. There are things that happen to you or they happen around you. There are events that happen on the world stage or in your community or at work or in your family. And they're just events. But those events are shaping the story of your life. And then after the events are your decisions. Because we often make decisions based on uh, what those events have put in front of us. How do we respond to the successes of life and the victories of life and the, the fortune of life and the good things of life? And how do we respond to the bad things of life? How do we respond to the pain and the tragedies, the betrayals and the losses of life? So the events of life are often out of our control, but we can't control our decisions. And then we're back to something we can't control, the outcome of those decisions. You see, there are consequences to how we live our lives and consequences to the decisions that we make. All of us have those stories. We're thinking, oh, if I could go back, I would never have gone out on that first date with that person. Oh, if I could turn back time, I would have never have had that first rendezvous with that person. I would never have done this. I would never have said that. I would have made a different career choice. You see, we, we, we face events and decisions and then the outcomes and all of that woven together becomes the story of our lives. It becomes your story. It becomes my story. And that was true of Joseph. Joseph had events that were out of his control. And he had decisions that he had to make. What will I do with these events that are out of my control? And he had to live with the outcome and the consequences of those events and decisions. And through it all, he was writing the story of his life. And there was something that was a, a continuing thread in the story of Joseph's life. And I think it's the same thing that God wants to be a part of the story of my life and yours. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take our Bibles once more. And we're going to go now to the last chapter. And actually the last part of the last chapter of the book of Genesis. We're going to look today at Genesis chapter 50 beginning with verse 20. And we're coming to the end of Joseph's story. Not just literarily, not just in the Bible, but literally we're coming to the end of Joseph's story. Because he's an old man now. We first met him when he was 17, now he's an old man. 110 years old. Knowing his time to die has come. And what we see here is that Joseph is thinking about the story of his life. And what legacy he wants to leave. What he wants other people to know about him and to emulate from him. And I think we can learn some lessons today about how we need to write the story of our lives. And this is where this is important if you're a follower of Jesus or if maybe you're spiritual but you're not quite sure what you believe yet. We have one of two choices whenever we face the ups and downs of life. We can either continue to keep our faith in God no matter what. Faith in God in the good times because believe it or not, we can even forget God in the good times. And we have to keep our faith in God even in the bad times. Because sometimes we want to forsake our faith and walk away from our faith in the bad times. But we've got a choice to make and Joseph made the choice to live by faith. As a matter of fact, whenever you look at his life, you remember he was... Betrayed by his own brothers. He, he was hated by them because he was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. When he was 17, they wanted to kill him. But then they 
had a change of mind and decided to make a little money off of him. So they threw him in a pit. They eventually sold him to some slave traders who were on their way to Egypt. And they sold their brother into slavery, basically consigning him to an early death. As far as they knew, for the next 20 plus years, he was dead. He was dead to them, and they assumed he was physically dead, gone, forgotten. But they lived with guilt every day of their lives because of what they had done to him. And then as God would have it, God reversed the, the roles. He turned the tables. The one who was in a pit made his way to a palace. He became the second highest official in Egypt. He was the next highest official under Pharaoh. There was Pharaoh, and then there was Joseph. And in a time of severe famine, Joseph not only saved Egypt from destruction, he saved even Canaan, the promised land of God, and he saved his own family from destruction because they came to Egypt. And little did they know, the guy they're asking for food was their brother all those years later. Well, eventually he's reunited with his brothers. He's restored to his father. He tells them all is forgiven. Uh, if you missed that message, go back and listen to Matt's message last week. He did a fabulous job on unpacking that story. And then many years went by. In fact, Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him into slavery. He was 30 when he was thrown into prison by Mr. Potiphar and falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar. He was 39 years old when Pharaoh let him out of prison and put him in charge and he was reunited with his father Jacob. He was 56 years old when his father died and he lived another 54 years after his father's death. Now he's 110. His brothers think when dad died, he's going to get revenge now. But listen to what Joseph said to them. Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph says, what you did was wrong and you meant evil. But look around. God brought something good out of it. God used it. If Joseph had known Romans chapter 8 verse 28, he would have quoted it. For God makes all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to the purpose of God. Joseph says, I'm not making excuses for you, but there was a bigger picture here. There was a bigger story that God was writing. And God just happened to use your free choices to get me where I needed to be to save many people. Look around, not just Egypt, but look around at your own family. And you'll see what God was up to. Genesis chapter 50 verse 22 says, So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 100 and 10 years. Amazing. 110 years. Joseph lived all of those years in Egypt basically with the power and the prestige, the fortune and the fame that being viceroy of Egypt brought. He probably lived in a mansion on the Nile. He had servants who waited on him and, and who obeyed every command he issued. He lived with the fame every time he rode through the streets of Egypt on his chariot as people would cry out, there he is, there's the savior of Egypt. He used to be a slave and he became our savior. 
He lived with fame and fortune, but none of that ever went to his head. He never forgot who he was. In Joseph's mind, he was just always that Hebrew boy from Canaan whom God had been good to through the ups and downs of life. He never even lost his faith in God. Think about this. Joseph, for generations, worked for Pharaoh who was worshipped as God. But not by Joseph. Joseph knew the one true living God. He wasn't impressed with Pharaoh's claim to deity. And we find him now at 110, surrounded by his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. And he's more concerned now about being grandfather rather than grand viceroy of Egypt. He's concerned now about being great-grandfather rather than being a great diplomat for Egypt. Look at verse 23. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. I love this. The, the writer of Genesis, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, humanizes Joseph. And to me, there's nothing more that can humanize Joseph than to imagine him as a gray-haired old grandfather with his grandchildren and great-grandchildren on his knee. I think we need those reminders once in a while that these are real people. We read our Bibles and we're detached by centuries and cultures and languages. And sometimes in our mind's eye, we picture the characters of the Scriptures more like they were cast in plaster of Paris or carved out of marble or cast in bronze. And we can't relate to them. We can't understand them. We can't really connect with them. It's more like walking through a museum. But the Holy Spirit reminds us, no, Joseph was a real man, flesh and blood and bone. And he had a family and he had grandkids and he had great-grandkids. And I can just imagine... Joseph with his grandkids, and he's bouncing them all on his knee because that's what grandfathers do. I can imagine Joseph walking them through the garden of his estate as they held on to his little pinky because that's what grandfathers do. I can just imagine Joseph sneaking them sweet treats and ruining their dinner because that's what grandfathers do. I can imagine Joseph pulling out a gold coin with Pharaoh's image engraved on it, slipping it to his kids, only after he magically made it appear from behind their ear, because that's what grandfathers do. I can imagine him telling the stories of his childhood in Canaan and how that he walked uphill both ways to get to school. And things weren't as easy in his day as it is in your day because that's what grandfathers do. I can imagine him telling the stories of how he and his brothers didn't always get along when they were little because that's what grandfathers do. I can imagine Joseph telling his grandchildren about Benjamin, his own flesh and blood brother, and how special Benjamin was when he was born and how devastated Joseph was when mom died giving birth to him. Because that's what grandfathers do. They tell those stories. 
And I know interwoven in those times of play and those times of dinner and those times of walking and talking, Joseph would have told them about God, his God. Not the Egyptian sun god, Ra. No, the one true living God, Yahweh. How he called my great-great-grandfather, Abraham, who was a moon-worshipping pagan, and it changed Abram's life. And how God worked not only in Abraham's life, but also in Isaac's life, my great, my grandfather, in Jacob's life, my father, and in my life. And God wants to work in your lives, kids. And he told them about his faith in God, because that's what grandfathers do. And this is not a sermon on grandparents, but listen, the older I get, the more I realize that those of us in the older generation are intended by God to be a living link to the younger generation so that we can pass on our faith in God. If they do not hear it from us, they will not hear it. In fact, earlier this year on the last Sunday of our traditional worship service, our senior adult choir sang from this platform, a song made famous by Steve, Steve Green. It says, we're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road. And those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race, not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us Find us faithful. After all, our hopes and dreams have come and gone. And our children sift through all we've left behind. May the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. Oh, may all those who come behind us find us faithful. Amen. Many in that generation joined this contemporary service and the next contemporary service, not because of their personal preferences, but because they said it is time to pass on the faith to a generation who desperately needs Jesus. And when they did that, I saw Joseph in them. I think we ought to give a hand to those people. Amen. <laughs> So Joseph starts thinking, like all grandfathers do, that he has more days behind him than he does ahead of him. Look at verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He knew that the time of his exodus was approaching. So he summoned his brothers to the mansion by the Nile. And he says, I need to talk to you. I've got some things on my mind. 
And they knew more than likely it was his estate planning conversation. We need to have that talk about what I want in my final arrangements. More than likely the brothers are expecting to find Joseph despondent about death, but they don't. They find him determined in his faith. And he says to them unequivocally, listen, I'm about to die. God's about to take me out of this life. But that's not what's important. What is important is God will visit you. God is going to show favor to our family, and he's going to bring our family up out of this land and give us back the land that he promised to our great great-grandfather Abraham and grandfather Isaac and father Jacob. Don't forget, this Egypt is not our home. We're just passing through. Don't get comfortable here. Don't get enamored by the trappings of this culture. Don't forget the one true living God. Don't give up on the promises of God. I don't know when, I don't know how, but God's going to keep his promise. And Joseph made the decision that we all have to make Will I continue to have faith all the way through to the very end, even if I don't fully understand and fully see how God's plan is going to work out? Will I have faith in the promise of God? Will I have faith in the power of God? Will I have faith in the the power and the, the purpose and plans of God to fulfill His will? That's why Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. you got to trust Him. So now the brothers know why Joseph called him there. He's, he's going to talk about his last will and testament. They're wondering, what are we going to get? Is he going to leave us this mansion? Is he going to leave us his fortune? Do I get the chariot? And I don't know what he did with all of that stuff. But they weren't expecting what he was really about to leave them. Look at verse 25. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. I'm leaving you boys something, all right? I'm leaving you my bones. And whenever God shows up and God leads our family out of Egypt back to the promised land, you make sure you load up that box of bones and you take them with you. That's how much faith I've got in God. I'm going to be a part of the exodus of God no matter what, no matter when, no matter how. That's how much I believe in what God has promised to do. Don't forget my bones. Take them back to Canaan. You know what Joseph is saying? Joseph is saying, let me tell you, brothers, here's my faith. Here's the story of my life. I believe in the fact that there is a way up and out by faith. He's always known this, whether he could ever verbalize it or not. There is a way up and out by faith. Deep down, Joseph knew at 17, there's a way up and out of a pit. Joseph knew there's a way up and out of slavery in Potiphar's house. Joseph knew there was a way up and out of a prison where you've been confined under trumped-up charges. Joseph knew there was a way up and out of a severe seven-year famine. Joseph knew there was a way up and out of a family legacy of bitterness and betrayal and brokenness. And Joseph knew even in death there is a way up and out by faith, and I'm putting my faith in God. And from this day forward, Joseph says... 
You'll never have to question my faith. That old dusty box of bones will be a living, a, a, a continual reminder of my legacy of faith. Don't forget to take my bones when you go back to Egypt. There's going to come a time in every one of our lives where we have to decide if we believe there is a way up and out by faith. I don't know what has gotten you down. I don't know what has brought you low. I don't know what feels bigger than you and more powerful than you. But in that moment, you're going to have to choose like Joseph not to have faith in faith, but to have faith in God. And I have confidence that there is a way up and out by faith. I don't always understand how God's going to do it. I don't understand when he's going to do it. I may not even live to see it. It may only be in eternity when I look back that I get to see it. How God made all things work together for good. To those who love him. And who were called according to his purpose. But I know this. I'm going to stake my life. And I'm going to leave a legacy of my belief. There is a way up and out by faith. And that's what Joseph is doing. In fact, the Bible says in verse 26. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him. That's what the Egyptians did. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. No pyramid scheme for Joseph. People in Joseph's position got pyramids. But Joseph said, I would rather have a coffin headed to Canaan than a pyramid in Egypt. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. The New Testament. By faith. Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. It was the greatest demonstration of faith, so much so that the writer of the book of Hebrews said, I need to point this out for, for all of us and for future generations. If you want to learn a lesson from Joseph, emulate his faith. Put your faith in God. Have confidence that in God there is a way up and out by faith. You say, Pastor, I don't understand it. I can't always see what God is up to. That's where faith comes in. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. We have faith in God. It was July 1952 that a young American woman named Florence May Chadwick stepped off the shoreline of the island of Catalina waded out into the cold waters of the Pacific in order to swim the channel from Catalina Island to the California coast. It was a long-distance swim that no one had ever done. Florence was not unfamiliar with long-distance swimming. She had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel in record time. And so this was nothing new. But 15 hours into that ordeal... She is getting weary and tired. She's afraid because there are sharks that are around her. And thankfully, the people on the boats that flanked her would use their, their guns to scare off the sharks as they would shoot into the water around her. Then there was the fatigue of the cold and the fatigue of exhaustion. And then a dense fog set in. 
And about 15 hours into the journey, Florence begged her coach to haul her into the boat. She said, I, I give up. I can't do it. And her coach kept saying, no, 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 don't give up. You're almost there. You can do this. She said, I cannot do it. I'm going to drown. You've got to take me in. And so they did. They, they pulled Florence into the boat, and she lay in the bottom of the boat where she realized only a few minutes later she was just one mile from the shore. She was so close. Later she would tell reporters, I'm not making excuses, but if I could have seen the shoreline, I could have continued, but I couldn't see the shoreline. And I just became discouraged. And I gave up. But that wasn't the end of her story. Two months later, Florence Chadwick walked right off that same island into those same waters, made that same swim, surrounded by probably the same sharks, <laughs> surrounded by the same fog that never lifted. And yet this time, she not only completed it, becoming the first woman to swim the channel from Catalina Island to the California coast, she did it in shorter time than even she imagined. And when they asked her, how did you do it this time? She said, this time, every moment I swam, in my mind's eye, I saw the shoreline. I couldn't see it with my eyes because of the fog, but I could see it as good as I could imagine and that kept me going. And listen, I know the fog of life and people and problems and politics and circumstances often crowd in on us. And we can't always see where God is and what he's up to and how much longer I've got to fight and how much longer I'm going to have to hang in there. But in the midst of the fog, we can have faith in God that he's there and that there is a way up and out by faith. We're going to have to keep our confidence in him. And Joseph is not the supreme example of this. I can promise you, your pastor is not the supreme example of this kind of faith. And none of you, no offense intended, but none of you are the supreme example of this kind of fortitude, perseverance, and faith. But Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is. He did not go to a cross with a written contract in hand. No, he went to a cross trusting his heavenly Father that there is a way up and out by faith. And the empty tomb is the living testimony that his faith in his father was rewarded. And he says to us, have faith. Put your confidence in God. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be understandable. It's not always going to be convenient. But let the story of your life be that you believed. There's a way up and out by faith in God. And that you were a woman of faith. You were a man of faith. You were a teenager who had faith in God. Listen, I think some of you may be questioning your faith. And you're struggling. And you're wondering, is this even real? Maybe I should give up. Look at this world. Look at my family. Look at my struggles. And I relate. I can understand. But Jesus says to you, don't give up. There's a way up and out by faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we come to you and we're grateful for what we have learned through the life of Joseph and what it's taught us more about you than really about him. Because you are the hero of Joseph's story. You are that thread that runs through his story. You were there in the good times. You were there in the bad times. You were there when it was obvious. You were there even when it wasn't obvious. 
You were always there. And we have hindsight. We can look and see how you worked in Joseph's life. But today, God, today we look at our lives and we have confidence that just as you were with Joseph, you are with us. You've promised it. You promised in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And God, some days we, we, we say amen to that and we, we high-five each other when we hear that verse and it sounds so good and so real. And then there are other moments, God, that we're just hanging on by faith because the fog has set in. We don't understand and we don't see you and we don't feel you and we don't always know where this is headed. But we know there is a way up and out by faith. And so, Father, I pray that this morning you would renew the faith and the confidence and the trust of the people today in you. Thank you that you welcome us, even when our faith falters, you welcome us to come to you with our doubts and our questions and our struggles and our fears. Thank you that you invite us, come to me. And so we do that today, God. And Father, I pray as well for somebody that's questioning whether they should just give up on their faith. Where would they go? If they give up on you, their problems are still there. Now there's just no purpose, no meaning. But God, you've demonstrated in so many ways, especially through the resurrection of Jesus, that you are here, that you're at work, and that we can put our confidence in you. So Father, I pray that in this moment that we would renew our faith in you. Knowing our faith will not be perfect this side of heaven. That's not important. The one in whom we put our faith is perfect. That's what's important. We put our faith, as feeble as it is, in you. And God, maybe today for the first time in someone's life in this room or listening today or watching today, they would say, Dear Lord Jesus, I don't have all the answers, but I know this. I need you in my life. I welcome you into my life. I know my life, and I know you, and I need you. So I turn from my sin and I put my confidence in you as my Lord and my Savior today. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for paying the punishment for my sin. Thank you for rising from the dead. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. And with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, or if you're watching or listening from home or wherever you are today, I need you to do something. Let me know today if you just trusted Jesus as your Savior. I want to celebrate with you. I want to pray for you. And I want to make myself available. If I can help you in any way, I want to be here as you start this journey with Jesus. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.